Because we pray, we're going to look at God's word together. Just make sure we just pray and then we'll look at God's word together. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for the privilege of worship and how good it is, Lord, just to spend a, a bit longer, perhaps, just focusing on you in worship. And Lord, now as we look at your word, we pray for your Holy Spirit to fall upon us, that he would fill us up, Father God, that we would hear your voice. That, Lord, my voice will be uh, ignored almost, Lord, but your voice will, will ring true, ring through. And that, Lord, every single one of us, Lord, would only hear your words. Lord, whatever form they come in, a feeling or a, a word in our head or, or just a, the, the words of your Bible just hitting us between the eyes. And we pray, Lord, that, that you just touch every single one of us, whether we know you or not, whether we're not sure about you or convinced. Lord, so we bless, uh, ask for your blessing on this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's been a few weeks. I feel that you might have forgotten some of my better qualities. Uh, one of my better qualities is I'm very romantic. And, and Andrew is a very lucky woman. Um, I, I know you've, uh, you've forgotten that, so it's important to remind you of that. Uh, she's very blessed. Uh, oh. I am very humble. I'm not, I didn't say humble. <laughs> no, I just, I believe you should be self, self-secure. Anyway, uh, so for Christmas, um, I bought Andrew a present, uh, a trip up the Shard in London, which uh, if you've never been there, I've been to the Shard. Same amount of afford to go in it. It's quite expensive, isn't it? I did it on a special offer, because I'm very romantic, I did it a special offer. <laughs> Two for the price of one. Anyway, and uh, we went to the show. I got some photos here of our, our trip up London. It was a brilliant day out. It was a really good day out. We had lots of, uh, lots of fun. We uh, went in the, the various lifts that go up and down the shard, obviously. They don't go left and right. And then uh, you go all the way to the top. And uh, is there any pictures anywhere of the shard? They're coming. There we are. That's it at night. I thought it was particularly nice. And uh, there we are. That's on the way back. We went to Marco Pierre for dinner. That was on the way back. Don't you know? Look, I... I just pushed the boat out quite a lot. Anyway, and uh, that's inside it. And that's looking inside and downwards. Do you need me to commentate on these? Or are, you, uh, are they quite self, self, self-explanatory? That's looking outside. That's glass. That's high. Is that it? Is that it? Okay. Okay, there we are. Um, so as I stood outside the shard... Uh, me and Andrew did marvel briefly before we went in because I'm a bit of a philistine, so I'm impressed for a bit and then I move on. But um, I was in, but it's such an impressive building. I'm used to seeing it as you drive down the M11, poking out the top of the London skyline, and it really just struck me. I thought, how do they build that thing? How do they actually conceive it? How do they build it? How do they finish it? How do they get to the top? with all the heavy stuff. Because um, I tried carrying a settee once, not a settee, a bed up downstairs. It nearly killed me. How do you get up there? And uh, so it's quite an impressive feat, isn't it? And, uh, and at the beginning of our sort of new year or academic year, we like to just sort of spend a few minutes thinking about our church particularly uh, and just what may be unfolding in front of us, what God's called us to. As I looked at the shard, it sort of reminded me uh, about, about church. Well, not just about church, about any project, about any idea, any movement you might be in. You might be off to study ballet. You might be off to uh, start a new job at a church. You might be uh, thinking of a new career path or something. That any mo- project or movement or personal goal it struck me as I looked at the shard, has three stages. And I want to think about three things um, that you need to grow and then things that get in the way of growth. And so every project or every idea, every movement, uh, good or bad, has three stages. Uh, the, the final stage is where the thing's completed. So with the shard, there was a day when they put the last little bit of glass in or the last plug socket in or whatever they do, the last light bulb. And then that was the day when somebody said, it's done, it's finished. It's finished. 
It's completed. And how wonderful is that final moment when you have a project or an idea, something stirs your heart and you think, oh, I'm going to do this. And how wonderful, what a privilege it is to be able to say, today is a day it's finished, it's completed. How wonderful. Every project, every idea, every church has a day of completion. And every project, idea, movement has a a start, a a dream, a concept, that moment when you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you think, this is what I want to be, or this is what I want to do, this is what I think God is telling me to do. A day where the dream starts and then a day when the dream is completed, where it comes to an end. And as I looked at the shard, I thought there was a day when this wasn't there. And there was a moment when its chief architect would have woken up at half past three in the morning and thought, I know what London needs. Apologies for the drop in audio here caused by a technical difficulty. Our service resumes about two minutes later. Other people do, but we work for the next generation as we serve God. Um, Just recently, a very well-known Christian event came to an end. Something called Soul Survivor. Any idea? Have you been to that? Anyone excited by it? It's quite a good thing. Good on you, Catherine. Catherine Ross has been there quite a few times. Now, Soul Survivor started 27 years ago. Mike Pilavacci and Matt Redman and a few others had a dream. They had a dream that thousands upon thousands of young people would convene together on a field and they would hear the gospel and they would meet with the Holy Spirit and they would have transformed lives and they would worship without any form of sort of unfettered worship. They would just be passionate followers of Christ. And you know what, 27 years later, they've seen hundreds of thousands of young people become Christians because they had a dream and God gave them the power to complete it. Oh, I did have a video, but we won't worry about that. But how wonderful is that? How good would it be? That would have started with just something at three o'clock in the morning when God said, this is what I want for you to do. But Mike Pilavacci and the others had that passion and God gave them the privilege of seeing it completed. As a church, we have dreams, believe it or not. Perhaps we should be more talkative about our dreams. In fact, let's be more talkative about our dreams. One of the dreams we have is for better facilities. Some of you know or already know that we want to redevelop some of this site We have a dream that our facilities, particularly the school block, the kitchen area, but who knows where it will stop, will be modern, will be accessible, will be a church building like no other in the local area, that people will see this church building and think, wow, God must be doing something, because look at it. It will be beautiful and wonderful. It will be almost the tallest building in town, perhaps not literally, but in terms of what it represents. We we dream of a facility in a a building that stands not just for three or four years, patched up with bits of tape and some uh, no more nails, but a building that's fit for 50, 60, 70 years, able to hold a church of a thousand. Why not? Able to reach out into our town so that so many people want to come in and we want to leave it to go out and tell them about Jesus Christ. But we've got more dreams as church. And we want to be a kind of community where God is pleased for us. I've got some words on the screen. If you remember, you'd have heard me refer to these. Uh, We had a a meeting a long, long time ago. And we prayed, uh, a leadership meeting particularly. We just asked God, what sort of church should we be aiming for? What's our ultimate destination? What kind of people should we be in Sawbridgeworth? And you won't be able to read that, I know. But I'll read it to you. We want to be, our dream is to be a church that is at the heart of our town. Not just physically, because if we stay here long enough, we will be in the middle of Sawbridgeworth, because they keep, they're very handily building houses around us, which I think is very clever and very kind of East Hearts. I know everyone's very upset by that, I apologise. But how good is it that they're building houses in Sawbridgeworth? I know it's going to be a pain with their infrastructure and travel and all that sort of thing. All these new people coming in, 
that we get to meet and tell about Jesus Christ, who maybe God has put houses just there to inconvenience us a bit, but who might actually do Alpha or come on a Sunday and find Jesus Christ. I put up with a bit of bad traffic for that, personally, but maybe I'm being frivolous. We want to be at the centre of our town physically, but emotionally. We want to be a, a town that reaches out to help people, and spiritually. We want to be the place where when people wake up on a morning and say, what's the point of life? They come here. Not because... We've got the nicest building, but because we're out doing so much, they think they're the people that have got to say, oh, I've not got and I'm going to come. We want to be a, um, a church where people see and feel the love of God. 1 Corinthians 14 speaks of a church that's so dynamic in its spirituality that when non-Christians come in, they just think, what's going on? We want to be that sort of church. On a Sunday morning, we love each other so much. We care for each other so much. That's my dream, that someone who's never even met Jesus will say, he must be there somewhere, because they're so different to everywhere else. We want to be the sort of church where young people stay. They reckon that uh, a majority of young people leave church at 15 years old. 50, 60% they reckon, maybe even higher. But here's the, the statistic that should hurt your feelings. Is the majority of those that leave at that age decided they were going to go at nine. Look at our nine-year-olds. Pray for them now. Don't wait until they come every other week. Pray for them now. And in fact, here's a challenge. If that hurts your feelings and breaks your heart, why don't you volunteer for some youth work in this church? Don't leave it to other people. Because it's too important to leave to someone else. Because their eternity matters. And if you love them, and it breaks your heart, what I've just said, sign up on a Friday, sign up on a Sunday, sign up on a Sunday evening. Let's help them. Anyway, We want to be that sort of church. We want to be a church that serves the needs of the community. Make lunch, the exchange project should be the tip of the iceberg. We want to be a church that has more and more people that work and are employed so that we know that every area is growing and growing and growing. We want to be a, t- a church that loves mission. We don't just want to love Sawbridgeworth. We want to love all the surrounding villages. But we don't just want to love the surrounding villages. We want to love all of Hertfordshire, all of Essex, because it's the best county in the world. And also the whole of the country, the whole of Europe, the whole of the world. Why not? When people hear churches, little churches like us say we want to change the world, they tut. Christians, they say, that's ridiculous. Why on earth is it ridiculous? We've only got to find one Billy Graham. We might find two. Um, Millions could be converted. Why not? I want to change the world. We want to be a church that helps other churches. Much Haddam Congregational Church this morning is meeting with nine people in their building. That's so close to shutting. We could half pay for a full-time church leader couldn't we? We might go into debt. We might have to give some more. The building might take six, seven years longer. But maybe we should be that sort of church as well. We want to be the sort of church where our worship is filled with the Holy Spirit, where God moves so powerfully. One of the great things about the one event was that people were there and there was that that complete abandonment of worry about the person next to you. I had both hands in there at one point, even doing this. And it's brilliant. And I don't care. I, I was a bit hot on the last day, so I did feel sorry for people that were this height but we won't go there. Anyway, um, and where spiritual gifts are used. We believe in prophecy. We believe that people can speak in tongues. We believe that God heals. We believe that God does miracles, but what we also believe is that Christians don't see it because they never ask. And I dream that we'd be the sort of church that asks, that expects God to move. That's what I dream of. We dream that Christians will grow well, that we won't just be good attenders on a Sunday or in a connect group, that spiritually we'll grow up and we'll be like Christ in everything we do. I'm nearly there. I've got lots more to say yet, so you might as well get comfortable. Um, but that we'll be a church where prayer is central. One of the reasons we have a personal leadership team to be in charge of prayer is because of that. 
and look, you see things dotted around, more and more things happening with prayer. Where gospel, the gospel message is central. We preach Christ crucified as the only way to salvation, the only way to God the Father. We preach that message over and over. Where we love and help other people. We want to be more like the early church, where we give away what God has blessed us with so those who have nothing have something. And then finally, I've already said our facilities that are modern. That's my dream. That's a dream of many people in this church. We want to be better, more, further forward than we are now. This is just the beginning. But it will stay the beginning if we stay here and don't move forward. So there's the, the, the concept part of dreams and ideas and movements. There's the bit where you get to see it completed. But there's a third stage, I said, which is uh, the stage of overcoming obstacles. You see, every habit that you try and introduce into your life, every idea that you want to do, every movement that you want to start, every project that you want to do, will always face obstacles. It is a fact Every single thing that ever started faced an obstacle at some point. And everything that succeeds in life hasn't succeeded because it didn't have any obstacles. It succeeded because it saw them and it faced them and it defeated them. And our church will never get to do any of that stuff if we fall at the first hurdle and are defeated by it. I want to briefly look at the book of Ezra. Um, If you've got the book of Ezra, uh, it's about halfway through the Old Testament, uh, just before Nehemiah and Job, and if you get the Psalms, you've gone too far. Um, The book of Ezra uh, is the story of God's people, the Jewish nation. They've been taken off to exile. It was prophesied they'd be away from uh, Israel for 70 years. God's people had let him down. They disobeyed their promises to God, and after a very, very, very long time, the end came. First of all, the Assyrians came from there and they took the ten tribes of the north and they took them off into exile. They were destroyed, they were swallowed up, not really to be seen again properly. And then a short time later, the Babylonians, people like Nebuchadnezzar, that's where stories like Daniel fit in, came to the southern part, the last two tribes. This is where Jerusalem is, where the temple was. And he came and he camped around that town for a long, long time and he just began to take away the best and the brightest. And in the end, most of the nation was taken off to exile for a long, long, long time. And this people, God's people, who are supposed to be a light to the whole world, who are supposed to be like a whole nation of priests, who are supposed to reflect God's very nature in their worship and their actions, are now exiled to another country. They're dominated by horrible people. And their temple, which represented who they were, had been destroyed. What was their dream? It wasn't a big building. It was simply to return home and be who God had called them to be. In Psalm 139, you can break into song if you want. It says this, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and there we wept. When we remembered, I thought someone was going to sing, never mind. Uh, when we remembered Zion. And so uh, Ezra starts... Um, with telling us how God's people came home. They had this dream to come home and rebuild their city, rebuild their temple so they could worship God. And the most wonderful thing happens, actually, to enable them to come back. And this is just a a sort of side comment in light of things like Brexit. Um, In Ezra chapter 1, it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem 
in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And may their God be with them and any in the locality where survivors now may be living. The people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock and the free will offerings for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. What's wonderful is God stirs the heart of a guy called Cyrus who's not a Christian, who doesn't even believe in God. He stirs him up to send these exiles, these prisoners in his kingdom, back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple so they can worship their God. And it's the most wonderful thing because this event was predicted, prophesied, years before in Isaiah 44 and 45, where God talks of a man named Cyrus who's going to come and he's going to set his people free. And I'll tell you what I want to say this to you this morning, because Brexit is upon us, and I say it without any fear, because I don't know what's going to come next, nor do you. But I tell you what Christians shouldn't do, is join the mass hysteria of both sides. We shouldn't be found in either side panicking. We shouldn't be found in either side saying horrible things about the other. We should be people that say, actually, there's a third way in all this. Because the God I believe in isn't the God of the church. He's the God of the nations. And if God can raise up an evil man like Cyrus and bring home the exiles who've been there so long you could have forgotten about them and send them home to rebuild their temple to worship God, can he not raise up and do all sorts of things in Europe for his purposes? And I wonder if the church believes that anymore. I wonder if we're so convinced we know how politics works that we think we know when it's wrong or when it's right. But actually what we should be doing is praying for the peace of our nation, the unity of our nation, and trusting that God's sovereignty is bigger than even the worst politicians or the worst decisions or the best decisions. Something to think about. So let's rattle through this quickly. So they return home, and it all starts going well. They start by building the altar. They begin with worshipping. All is good. Everyone's getting very excited. They lay the foundation of the temple in Jerusalem. Lots of cheering and woohooing. Uh, I think we should do more of. I feel we should woohoo more on a Sunday morning. Good. So three of us then. <laughs> I'll make a list. Anyway, so we should woohoo more. So they woohoo. There's lots of cheering. And then suddenly it all goes horribly wrong. So they have their dream, their concept. We're going to go home. We're going to build the temple. We're going to go back to doing what God called us to do. And then they get some opposition and they stop for 15 years. That dream, that vision is put on pause and hold for 15 years. And in that 15 years, their hearts go cold. And in fact, they stop worrying about God and his temple and they become only worrying about their houses. In fact, they will be told off by a man named Haggai who says something along the lines of, are you kidding? Look at the state of your houses, nice, panelled, all nicely cleaned and built wonderfully. But look at the state of God's temple. What is the matter with you? Do it the other way round. It's something to ponder, I guess. But I want to just talk about the obstacles, because they faced four obstacles which had the potential to hold them back on this dream. And I want to just share them this morning, because actually every single person in this room, whether you know what I'm talking about with the book of Ezra or not, will be facing an obstacle at some point. Every single one of you in your life will hit something. You will have a dream that you will decide, I'm going to be like this, I'm going to do this. And at some point you will face a hurdle or an obstacle or a giant ditch and you need to be able to defeat it or it will defeat you. So here are four obstacles that God's people were presented with that ultimately led to them not serving him for 15 years. And the first obstacle they had was the past. Let's start with that. In Ezra chapter 3, 
verses 1 to 11, we get this wonderful description of how they lay the the foundation of the temple. They've come back 70 years. They're back. They lay the foundation. The altar's built, and they have this massive celebration. And it says in verse 11, hang on. So verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with their trumpets and the Levites with the cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. And with praise and thanksgiving, they said to the Lord, he is good. His love endures, sorry, his love towards Israel endures forever. And the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. This is a good day. They're back, they're building, everything is awesome, as the song, famous song goes from the classic movie. Everything is good, they're finally back, they're building, they're celebrating. But then something really tragic happens. In verse 12 we read this. But many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple, they had a temple built by Solomon which was brilliant, part of the golden era of Israel, it had been destroyed They wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. And while many others shouted for joy, no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. And whilst on one point they're right, this new temple is not going to be as wonderful and as dramatic as Solomon's. But this is a good day. God has freed them from exile. He's brought them home and they're rebuilding their temple so they can stand and serve God again. And yet, what's holding some of them back is the past. They can't celebrate today because they're so sad that the past has gone. And isn't this the sort of thing we do all the time? How many of you here can't move forward in your lives because something that happened to you in the past? How many of you here cannot look forward because you're too busy looking back? That thing that happened to me, the thing that I said, the thing that I did, the thing that I didn't do. That's there and I can't stop looking at it. And you can't go forward. Personally, how many of you are stuck? How many of us are stuck? How many churches get stuck? Because they use phrases like, I remember when. Or they use phrases like, many, many years ago. Or, we used to. Or, if you get like, um, like negative bingo, you get all three together. I remember when, many years ago, we used to. That's the most terrible phrase. That's the most terrible phrase. Because we're a people that are supposed to be going forward, not backwards. God doesn't call you to go backwards. The only person to go backwards is Marty McFly in uh, Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3. It's an awesome series. Anyway, but the problem with the past is whilst it contains lots of lessons for us, for us excuse me, it contains so many lies dressed up as happy memories. That's the truth. Somebody once said, the past, you can dwell on it, but you can't dwell in it. You can only dwell in now. How many of you are trying to dwell in the past? But guess what? It ain't going to happen. You can't get back to what you left. I'm uh, on Facebook, as you know, I'm very down with the youth. And uh, and so I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm not on Snapchat because it feels weird me being on there. So I'm on Insta as well, but I don't really know why. Anyway, but um, so on Facebook, there's a, uh, you get these stupid videos. And there was a video the other day about if you're a child of the 80s, you'll remember this. And then it's brilliant. And and it it was all things like, you know, Sabutio and uh, a whole lot of toys and games I played with as a kid and music and TV series. And for a while I thought, wow, that's such a great time of life. That was a good time to be alive. I was born in 1978. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, 
and I had that moment where I thought, oh, it was good, wasn't it? And then it occurred to me, wasn't it rubbish? I was so miserable in the 80s. Growing up was boring. Didn't have any money. We weren't poor, but we had hardly any cash. I'd say to my mum, can I have some orange juice? And she'd say, that much in a glass. The glass was this big. You put that much in. And I'd say, can't I have more? No. We've only got one bottle, and that's got to last us three months. Anyway, or I'd ask for a biscuit, and you can have one biscuit. One. Now, oh, I won't say because they're sitting here. Um, but that's the way it was, wasn't it? And I'll tell you the worst thing about growing up in the 80s. Cloves. I'll tell you... T- See, our little cherubs now, they don't realise how lucky they are, how blessed they are, I should say. I don't believe in luck. Anyway, and, uh, and they get a little, little tiny little, little hole like that, and they go, look, everyone's going to take the mickey out of me tomorrow. Quick, take it off, I'll buy you seven new ones. And uh, whereas when I was younger, my mum would say, you're all right, that's good. Wait until it's about that big, then we'll talk. And then I would have holes here and holes here, because that's obviously, as a boy, you're always constantly falling over. And my mum discovered that the best way to patch up a hole was with a patch. Not the patch of the same colour, now a leather brown patch. And I remember going to the Isle of Wight in primary school and having a massive, giant brown patch. And this girl saying to me, what on earth are those? And I was like, that, nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> At my knees. And the worst thing was hand-me-down clothes. And I'm going to tell you something now that I probably shouldn't, but I feel I should share with you. Because I once had hand-me-down underpants. <laughs> and the joke was, it wasn't even from my brother. <laughs> I was 17, I don't know, not really. Um, but people don't realise. And I look at that and I think that's rubbish in the 80s. I just have everything now. I feel like a, I feel like a king half the time uh, in comparison. But that's what nostalgia does. Isn't it? That's why Stranger Things is such a popular... Please don't tell anybody about the underpants thing. I shouldn't have said that. Um, I don't do it now. I don't do it now, by the way. But, the, uh, but that's why things like Stranger Things are so popular, aren't they? Because it taps into that nostalgia. And that's what we do. Although the most sobering part of what I've just said, though, They cry as the temple is built. Haggai, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, will say, 15 years from this moment, the the latter glory of this temple is going to be greater than the former. Because they're so obsessed with the past, they miss how wonderful the present is. Although it's not going to be quite the same, it's still God, and it's still now, and it's still his hand on their life. You see, if we only ever look back to the good old days, guess what will never happen? The good new days. You'll never ever see another good new day if you only ever look to the good old days. Looking back romanticises the past and it makes us suspicious of the future. Because we say, well, I can't put that into the same context of then, of course you can't. Because that was 1950 or 1990 and now it's 2019. They're completely different eras. God is a God who does new things. The gospel never changes. Jesus would always be the way, the truth, and the life. Sin will always need to be repented over and forgiven. Heaven will always be open to those who trust in Jesus. But our presentation of our God and our gospel should and must change over and over again. It must change in this church every single year. Nostalgia, uh, the word nostalgia basically means something along the lines of to painfully remember. And let me show you what happens when you look backward. here's a mirror obviously you can see yourselves and uh, this is what happens actually it's even got a light on there look it's exciting isn't it um, so if you only ever um, okay if you only ever look back going forward is really difficult isn't it so, uh, so let me just attempt to do it but that's the 
your shoulder, you're never ever going to know what's coming. And what if the latter glory is better than the former? What if the things God's got planned for you are greater than your greatest mistakes or the greatest missed opportunities? What if what God has planned for this church is so wonderful that the last 200 years look like the prelude, prelude, uh, the beginning bit of the story and not the main story? What if the next 100 years, and what if it's what we do in this church that begins it because we're so faithful and so spirit-filled and so passionate that the first 200 years was just the introduction to the great things God's going to do? But if you keep looking back and say, well, in 1874 we did this, you say, it's good. Praise the Lord for their faithfulness. Our ancestors who built this church had nothing to look back to. In 1812, when it was they built the first, this, not this building, their first building, they had no building to look back to. They had no community to say, this is how we've always done it, because they'd never always done it that way. Everything was fresh in you. How exciting must that have been? Their first building came 50 years later, and they just built it. They built it not knowing how, where the money was going to come from, but having all the faith in the world. We're going to do a building project in this church. Who's with me? Who believes God can do whatever he wants? Who believes that if our building was to cost a million pounds, that God has the biggest bank account, and that if he truly desires that here, he would just provide? We might have to be sacrificial as well, of course. It's not a magic wand to save us the, 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 uh, the, the privilege of sacrifice. But pain of looking back. This morning, I wonder how many of you, forget the church bit, I wonder how many of you this morning have had things that have gone on, maybe last week, maybe a year ago, and it's still got such a hold on you, you cannot let go of it. The past tells lies. Maybe today's the day to start listening, stop listening to them. The next obstacle they face, the others are much shorter, don't worry, is compromise. So they carry on, and in chapter 4, the first couple of verses of chapter 4, it's all going well. It says, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the families and said, let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esheradon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. How tempting would it have been to compromise? These people called enemies in the text, so it's obvious what they were up to. They were going to come and undermine it. And so to resist them would have caused problems, which it does. And so it would have been tempting, perhaps, to compromise and say, well, okay, they're a bit dodgy, but at least we get it done quicker. Actually, compromise is an obstacle to personal growth. If God has called you to something or you want to grow in a certain way, if you compromise your way to the finish line, the finish line will be phony and you'll wish You'd never done it. How many people compromise? How many people cut corners to get there quicker? Maybe as a Christian you've done that. The devil loves it when we compromise. Only in terms of morality and godliness. He absolutely loves it. And when we do our building project, there'll be so many opportunities for us to cut corners. There'll be so many opportunities for us to save money and dishonour God at the same time. We will not do it. If it costs us another 100000 then so be it. But we will honour our God above everything else and we will not compromise for one brick because it's not right. They had this opportunity to compromise. How many here have cut corners in your jobs or in your lives? How many people have compromised or made a deal with the devil himself? Don't. The third obstacle, sorry, because compromise gives you success in the short term but it slows you down in the long term. So don't do it. Take the long view. 
not the short one. The third thing that's an obstacle, actually, ironically, is conviction. Because as these men come to offer help, they have conviction, the Israelites. It's quite interesting, verses 3 and 5. Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the family of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple for our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as the king of Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded. And when the peoples around them set out to discourage them, uh, and then they set out to discourage them, so the people were afraid to build. Ironically, what slows them down is their conviction to godliness. They're offered this chance to compromise, knowing that if they say no, they're going to make enemies of these people. But they say no anyway, because they love their God the most. And they have that conviction to stand strong, but that conviction means it's harder to do it. I wonder how often we don't have the courage of our convictions because we know it's going to lead to a tough day. I encourage all of us to stand tough and take the flack that comes from being righteous because, as the Bible says, the wide path is easy. that leads to destruction. There's no obstacles on it at all. But the narrow road to life is full of hardship. But that's the one that leads to life. So don't compromise and have your convictions. And then finally, they have good old-fashioned enemies. I won't read it, but verses 7 to 23, that same group becomes so cross, they write letters of complaint, and they stop people. And 15 years, that work stops. Their hearts turn cold, and they don't ever, they don't rebuild God's temple the way they should. Sometimes maybe things are going wrong in your life because you're just unfortunate enough to have people that have taken a dislike to you. And sometimes it isn't for anything you've done, except they just happen to look at you and think, I'm going to pick on you because I'm not very nice. Maybe you're going through a hard time because it's just a shame you're just where you were. And it's not your fault, is what I guess what I'm trying to say. If you're having an attack like that, it's not your fault sometimes, and that's okay. Not everything has to have a reason. Sometimes it's just unfortunate. And you have enemies, we have people that want to stop us, but you've got to power through them. And it's good that we talked about battle at the beginning with Julie, because that's how we're called to fight fight darkness with prayer if you're facing an enemy this morning of any type addiction or any type of thing like that or a physical enemy I urge you to pray and pray and pray and so the reason for this talk as I come to an end is that two reasons really personally on a personal level I believe God desires every single person in this room to grow in their faith I believe God wants you to be whole I believe God wants you to know joy and joy unspeakable and life in all its fullness I believe that God has a dream not for the sharp, but for every single one of you and me. That even if you don't even know him this morning, before you were even born, I believe God knew your name and knew everything about you and had a dream for your life, that he wanted you to follow a particular plan. He wanted you to know Jesus is your saviour, to be forgiven of your sin, so that your name would be written in the Lamb's book of life and you would live forever. But between now and then, that you would follow him and his voice. Whether you've been a Christian 50 years or you're not sure what you believe, I believe God has a concept, a plan for your life, a dream for you to follow. And he will complete it. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse, uh, verse 6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the last day, on the day of judgment. God will complete his work in you. We spend so much time, we waste so much time trying to fix ourselves. Why not let God do it for a change? He's much better at it than you are. Because he knit you together in your mother's womb before you were even born. But we're in that middle stage, aren't we? Before we die and we go to heaven. The middle stage is full of obstacles and barriers. And there are battles that we will face until the day we die. And I tell you this personally. Jesus wants to walk with you as you face them. I tell you, hand on heart, since 11 years old when I became a Christian, Jesus Christ has been my best friend. 
and he has walked with me through countless barriers and obstacles and carried me over lots of ditches that I didn't even know were there because he wants to walk with you as you walk with him. He doesn't want you to be overcome, he wants you to become overcomers, to be a people of Romans chapter 8, more than conquerors. Not less than conquerors, not almost conquerors, but more than conquerors. And another reason I wanted to mention these obstacles, can I have the words about the church back up? Um, It's because this is that day we like to sort of mention church, and there they are again. I believe God has great plans for this church, physically and spiritually. And I believe, and I've believed for 11 years, and I'll believe for another 11 years. I believe God wants this church to be brighter than any other people in this town. I believe God wants us to be at everything, sharing the gospel, praying. But we must stay right. We must not just have dreams of what God might do. We must be people that fight our way to what God's calling us to. How we respond to the hurdles ahead will always determine the end product. I'm going to pray and then we're going to... It's a time, a time to respond to that. Should we just pray? Father God, Lord, just as we give you everything we've said this morning, Father, we know that um, there's lots to think about. But Lord, I believe that in this room there are people that are struggling with particular obstacles, Father. I believe. Um, and so, Lord, this talk isn't supposed to be about the church and its building uh, and, Lord, and its future, but, Lord, about individuals as well. And I believe, Father God, that so many people are locked in the past Oh Lord, have that negative voice of an enemy whispering in their ear. So Father God, I, I believe you want to set them free. And I pray for freedom this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would just set people free, that they would just be mindful of their obstacles. And Lord, you would just bless them, I pray. In fact, just as we have our eyes shut, just put your hand up if you um, are just conscious that there's an obstacle in your life. I'm keeping my eyes shut as well. But just keep an, think of an obstacle. And your hand up is a, a sign between you and God that you acknowledge it's there and it's in the way. Father, for those who are really struggling, Lord, who can only see what's getting in the way, Father, I pray that you would remove those obstacles. Lord, you'd give them perseverance and you'd give them blessing. Lord, they would have the fight to fight the good fight. Lord, I pray you'd be with them. I pray you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, you'd reveal to them your plan for their lives. And Lord, you'd give them strength and courage and boldness and grace and the gift of faith. Father God, may they hear your voice and know your ways, I pray. Be the good shepherd they're needed for so long, I pray, and lead them through the darkest place, Lord, into your glorious light. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.